Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a Bible in front of you to Genesis 37. We move into part four of our walk through the book of Genesis, looking at the life of Joseph, and uh, we pick it up today in Genesis 37. But as you get there in your Bible, I want to ask a question to start, and it's this. Where is God in life's deepest valleys? Where is God in life's deepest valleys? If you've walked, and what I mean by deepest valleys isn't just that life is hard, it's like real hard. It's like when your eyes open in the morning, your immediate, like you just got a, a, an ache in your stomach and you're like, man, I got I to gotta traverse through another day here. Where's God then? And if you've ever been there, you know that when those type of valley seasons hit, you can begin to grasp around and, and, and you, while all your theology might be intact, there's something in your heart that's just like, Lord, where are you? Um, I ask that because uh, as we get into the life of Joseph, we are going to ride the roller coaster of his life with him. Joseph knows what it's like to stand on the high hills of life, and, and Joseph knows what it's like to traverse through the deepest, deepest valleys. And uh, fortunately for us, um, we are going to be able to walk with Joseph through both these highs and these lows, but especially, and I think we're going to see this today, we're going to get to the heart of the answer of our question of where is God in the midst of life's deepest valleys. Because it's stated explicitly, and it's stated explicitly a couple times in Joseph's story when he finds himself down in the valley. And so um, uh, here's what I wanna do today. I wanna walk through both chapters 37 and 39. I'll explain um, what we're doing with chapter 38 here in a few minutes. But uh, in chapter 37, uh, basically it sets the stage for Joseph's life. It basically sets the stage for this roller coaster we're about to go on with him of the highs and lows of life. And then as we get into chapter 39, there's three reminders that we see very explicitly that we need to remember when we're going through life's deepest valleys as well. So if you would pick it up with me, Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Now, I just want you to stop there because as we go into part four of Genesis, we're coming out of part three. There's a real, yeah, mind bender for you. Coming out of part three where we looked at the life of Jacob. And remember uh, that God all the way back in Genesis had made a a a promise to Abraham in which he had said, uh, Abraham, you're gonna be a family. You as a family, you're gonna grow into a nation and you're gonna inherit a land that I'm promising to you. Uh, we saw that dream or that promise realized more and more with Jacob. Jacob's name has changed to Israel. Jacob has these 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so it's really interesting as Genesis 37 begins where it says, these are the generations of Jacob. What we would expect in the next verse is the Bible to begin unpacking Reuben's life and then Simeon's and then Levi's and then Judah's. And I want you to look at the very next word there. Uh, these are the generations of Jacob. What's What's the next word there? Joseph. Why in the world does uh, the Bible, why in the world does Genesis jump uh, all the way if they're going to unpack the generations of Jacob to the 11th born son? Well, as we're about to find out, Joseph might be the 11th born son, but he's the first son in his father's heart. Look at what it says here. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his, with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to the, of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, Why? Because he was the son of his old age, and uh, son of his old age, son of his uh, beloved wife, Rachel, and he made him a robe of many colors. 
So, uh, you know, growing up in Jacob's house, hey, dad, who do you love the most? Joseph. Like, he didn't even hide it. It just says it explicitly. Jacob loved Joseph the most. Uh, how do you know? Like, he adorned him with a robe that would actually show that and would be a tangible reminder to all the other brothers in the house. So, you know, the natural question is, how do you think all the other brothers felt about that? Let's see, verse four. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they what? They hated him. Take note of that word and could not speak peacefully to him. Verse five. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they, they hated him. Even more, he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they, so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So uh, what did his brothers think of Joseph? Can you imagine this morning, Joseph gets up, you know, guys, how'd you sleep last night? Crazy thing, like we're binding sheaves, mine rose up. Yours guys just circled around and and you just all bowed down to me. We hate you. Verse nine, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So another dream. This time, sun, moon, stars. This guy's crazy. I had a dream last night. Sun, moon, you're all bowing down to me. And his dad's like, whoa, 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 son. And his brothers are jealous. So three times already we're told that his brothers hate him. One time we're told that his brothers are jealous and and they're jealous and they're upset about this dream. But there's an interesting little line here. His father kept the saying in mind. Jacob's like, man, I might not like hearing this, but there could be something to this. Jacob's been around long enough now. Jacob's increased in some wisdom enough to know sometimes God is in the midst of something like my son saying. Now, how does this hatred begin to live out here? Verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go, uh, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields and the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me please where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Now, um, if, if we want to know the level of hatred that the brothers have for their little brother here, um, we see it here. You, Joseph's a pretty obvious sight coming, wearing the robe of many colors, and they see him from afar, and they say, hey, let's kill him. Let's take him out. Let's end this. They want to kill him. Verse 19, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben, remember birth order, Reuben, where does Reuben fall? Firstborn, how many firstborns in the room? You get it, right? Guys, mom and dad, they won't like this one, okay? 
But Reuben, when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. And this was Reuben's thinking, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and uh, threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. I love that. They're like, oh, lunchtime. You just throw your little brother in a pit to die, and you're like, I'm hungry. So it's evident here the, the, the type of deep hatred that the brothers have for Joseph, the type of jealousy that they're filled with. They sit down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Now, that can feel a bit random. They're like, what? They're out pasturing their flocks. They're, they're in the middle of a field that seems kind of random. There's just now this caravan of traders uh, coming through. Well, it, it wouldn't have been random because if you remember where they're pasturing these flocks, it's at a place called Dothan. And um, what you need to know about Dothan is that Dothan would have been right on uh, kind of this ancient highway that would have run south right down to Egypt. And so uh, uh, Eric and I have been to Dothan, and it's a pretty surreal experience to stand at Dothan and go, this is where Joseph was sold by his brothers. And the reason why it was an ancient highway is because Dothan was uh, kind of in a valley between the, hi the hills, and this highway would have wound around the hills. And so uh, they sit down to eat, and they look up, and there's a caravan of traders coming down to Egypt, which would have been a pretty common experience through Dothan here. And as they see the traders, they, uh, they have another idea. Verse 26, then Judah said to his brothers, and so take note of who said that. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit, so apparently Reuben's not uh, present at the lunch break time here. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy's gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. I just want us to follow the trajectory just in this one chapter. As chapter 37 begins, Joseph is a prized son, uh, the beloved son of his father, adorned with a coat that would be uh, the expression of the father's love for his son, for everyone who's watching. By the end of the chapter, uh, Joseph's life has descended into the valley. 
first thrown in a pit by his very own brothers, then lifted out only to be sold to traitors. He's sold into a slavery from a, from a prized son to what it says in the last verse, to Potiphar's servant. And Joseph finds himself in the depths of the valley. Now, uh, chapter 38, when you read through Genesis, feels very random. And chapter 38 is not random at all. Um, Every, every part of scripture is breathed out by God. Every part of scripture is God inspired and the order in which scripture find itself has deep purpose. And so uh, this week on our sermons page, you can go on our website, I'm gonna release a teaching on chapter 38 and why chapter 38 is where it is. Uh, but I want us to jump to chapter 39 because in chapter 39, we uh, pick up the action down in Potiphar's house and, 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 and we pick it up with this once prized son who is now a household servant. And as we begin chapter 39, I just want to remind us, I think there are three reminders that we're going to see in this chapter uh, that we need to know for the deep valley seasons of life. Uh, Chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was what? The Lord was with Joseph. And man, you read those five little words. The Lord was with Joseph. And it's easy for us to sit in this room and read those words. And it's especially easy if you know the end of Joseph's story. But if you would have told Joseph, if you would have told Joseph those words in the moment, how do you think that would have played out in the moment? If we need help thinking about it, um, imagine someone you love in the deepest valley of your life and you walk through the front door and you come over and you just put their hand on your shoulder and it's like, hey, God's with you. We know that's true. But in a moment like that, if we're honest, it doesn't feel very true. And it's why we gotta make a decision in this room right now that we're going to believe a verse like Genesis 39 verse two before, we, before our lives descend down into the valley season. And I just wanna, as I say that, I just wanna acknowledge that those of you who are in the room and you're, you're like, I walked in in the valley season. I just wanna call out that all of the points I'm gonna give you in this sermon will feel very much like shallow Christian cliches. Hey, God's with you. And just be faithful. And like fight to do the right thing. It will feel so shallow And yet we gotta try to get into the story here to get down deeper than just the Christian cliches we might throw out of the Lord is with you. How is the Lord with Joseph? And how is the Lord with you? Because the first thing I just want us to see comes right from verse two that we're gonna see again in verse 21 and it's this, in the deepest valleys of life, hold on to the truth that God is with you. You gotta hold on to that. It won't feel like that. 
And when people walk through the door after you've just been smacked in the face into one of the deep, and you've descended into one of the deepest valleys of your life, probably one of the last things you'll want to hear someone say is, hey, God's with you. It'll be okay. It doesn't feel like it'll be okay. And man, it sure felt like God was a little more with me when I was a prized son, not a slave in a house. How do we make the decision right now when we're sitting on the tissue paper of a doctor's office table and we get a diagnosis that immediately sends us down into the valley. Where is God in that moment? He's right there. And we gotta make the decision right now before we get the phone call that gives us news from the other end that makes our knees buckle. And we know we're immediately in a valley and we'll know we'll be in that valley for a really long time. Lord, where are you? We have to make the decision now that he's with us on the other end of that phone call. And when the person we never thought would walk out of our life slams the door behind them and walks out never to return, it sure doesn't feel like God is with us. We have to make this, the decision now on a Sunday morning sitting in church. Lord, where are you in that moment? You're with me. Because yes, it's easy for us when we know the rest of Joseph's story. But what's it like for this 17-year-old kid with ropes on his hand, walking south, looking over his shoulder at brothers who... He probably knew the relationship was strained, but he never knew it could come to this. What's it like to arrive in Egypt and to be sold in a slave? Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine the despair? Lord, where are you in seasons like that? We have to cling to the reality, to the truth of verse 2. And of verse 21, we'll see again that the Lord is with us in the deepest valleys of life. Now, I'm with you. It preaches well. It lives hard. And if you've walked through the deepest valleys, you're like, okay, that's great and all, Pastor. Like, God's with me. But like, when my eyes open in the morning, I don't even know how to focus. I don't even know how to function. What does faithfulness another day in the deepest valley look like? Joseph's story gives us some clues to that. Verse 3. His master saw that the Lord, okay, so remember, he sold into Potiphar's house. Let me go back to verse two. The Lord is with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He became a successful man. Lord, what are you talking about? He's a slave in a house. He became a successful man. He was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left, as a Potiphar, he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, because of Joseph, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. When Potiphar gets up in the morning, the only thing he's thinking about, what's for dinner? He knows Joseph has it all. And in that description, there spares nothing. 
Everything that is in Potiphar's house is under Joseph's care, stewardship, and leadership. Everything that is in Potiphar's field is under Joseph's care, stewardship, and leadership. What's the clue for us here in life's deepest valleys? Because it certainly would have been easy for Joseph here to just say, what's just happened and who cares? And I was a prized son. I'm not going to be a faithful servant. And yet what we seem to find is Joseph just embracing the lot that God had led him to in the deepest valleys of life. of Joseph going, and I, I don't think I'm reading too much into this here, of Joseph going, I was once a prized son, now I'm Potiphar's servant. <sighs> I'm gonna be a servant to the glory of God. In the deepest valleys of life, the second thing I want us to see is this, be faithful to the lot he has entrusted to you. Again, I told you, I warned you, this is all gonna feel like Christian cliche. It preaches easy, it lives hard. Joseph finds himself as a servant and he gets up every day and seems to steward faithfully the things that Potiphar has entrusted to him. What do you do when you've gone from boss to the bottom of the totem pole? I'm gonna be the best bottom of the totem pole servant I can possibly be today. What do you do when life has wrecked you and laid you low? And I don't want to oversimplify it. But when your eyes open up in the morning and you sit up in bed and you stand on your two feet and you go, Lord, what does just faithfulness for the next 60 minutes look like? Not even the day. The day's too daunting. The day's too big. The day's too overwhelming. Lord, what does faithfulness for the next 60 minutes look like? How about the next 60? How about the next 60? In the deepest valleys of life, we have to be able to bring our place to a place to just say, Lord, what does it look like to be faithful down in the depths of the valley in which you've brought me? And here's why it's so important. It's so important that we focus on what faithfulness looks like in the deep valleys because when we're in the valleys of life, we're vulnerable. We're deeply vulnerable to be tempted towards unfaithfulness. And Joseph is. Verse six. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Translation, he would have been on the cover of GQ. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? and sin against God. And as she spoke to Joseph, this isn't a one-off thing. This isn't one day Joseph walked in and then she, her, her senses came back. This is a persistent 
temptation. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Joseph, fighting for his holiness, fighting for his integrity. Yes, he's descended into the valley, but he knows something about life, whether at the mountain peaks of life or whether in the valley lows, all of our life plays out before the eyes of our heavenly father. And he doesn't say in the midst of the temptation that, you know, your, your husband, he's entrusted all this to me. How could I do that to your husband? He says, how could I do this before my heavenly father? And some people might say, Joseph, look at where following God has got you. You went from a son to a slave. Who cares? And he says, no, 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 no. Whether in the mountaintop or the valley low, all of life plays out under the eyes of the Father. How could I sin against him in this way? The third reminder I want us to see in the deepest valleys of life is this. In the deepest valleys of life, protect the holiness and integrity he desires in you. You are vulnerable in the deep valleys of life. I am vulnerable in the deep valleys of life. It's easy to say, who cares? Look at where life already is. How could this possibly make it any worse? Listen to me, it can make it very worse. When we don't fight and scratch and claw and flee for our integrity and our holiness in the deepest valleys of life, we can drive that valley even deeper still. And Joseph is... His integrity is intact before the Lord. The pursuit of holiness is still on the forefront and look at what happens. He does everything right and look at what happens here, verse 13. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice and as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled out and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home and she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought among us came into me to laugh at me but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house, falsely accused, did everything right, falsely accused. Prized son, Potiphar's servant, favor in Potiphar's house. Now, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Prized son, Potiphar's servant, now prison sufferer. Where is God in the midst of that? How is it that he can do everything right? His integrity is intact, and still he finds himself from son to servant to prisoner. Where's the Lord in the midst of this? Verse 21, but the Lord was where? Well, the Lord was with Joseph. And around the cycle we go again. In the deepest valleys of life, remember that the Lord is with us. And he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And here we go again. 
Joseph woke up on the hard, cold floor of the prison and said, what do I do today? I be a faithful prisoner to the glory of God. And over time, he's elevated and he's lifted up and he's put in charge and he has favor in the eyes of the prison warden from a beautiful robe of many colors to a prison jumpsuit. Where is God in the midst of that? He's with Joseph. And if all this feels very much, too much like cliche, and if someone asks you, hey, what was church about Sunday? Hey, God, uh, God's with us in the hard seasons. Oh, there's, there's an original one. What church do you go to? You need a better church. How do we get this out of the land of cliche? I think the only way is we turn our eyes to God in flesh. We turn our eyes to God in flesh. Do you want to know if we have a God who descends with us into the deepest valleys? Listen to this. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in him in form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You want to know that you have a God who will descend with you into the valley of the shadow of death? Guess what? All you have to do is look at Jesus Christ. The prized son in the splendor of heaven who would put on flesh to walk in this brokenness, to die a death, but not just any death, a criminal's death, crucified on a cross. If we ever need a reminder that our God descends with us into the deepest valleys, all we have to do is get our eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ. And he didn't stay low, though. And if you need hope that he won't keep you low, listen to the rest of the passage. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The trajectory of his victory is to descend into the depths of the valley so that he can rise victorious. And guess what? Through faith, he'll bring us out of the depths of our valley as well. And in the gospel, he has done that. To take every sinful heart who will cry out on him in faith out of the depths of the valley of the sin and rise victorious with him in his presence forever. That he might, as Ephesians tells us, show us the riches of his kindness and grace towards us in Jesus Christ forever. That's the victory. And so he goes with us into the depths of the valley and he pulls us out of the depths to rise victoriously in Christ. And here's the, here's the cool thing about how we get to end today. We get to end today by celebrating baptisms of people who have understood that they've needed Jesus Christ to reach down into the depths of the valley of their sin and pull them out that through faith in him and faith alone, they would rise victorious in Christ forever. 
And so baptism, as we get prepared to baptize these four folks, we need to know baptism is the public declaration of the faith that they have put in Jesus Christ. They are coming before us today and saying, I am a follower of Jesus and I want all of the people to know it and I invite your accountability. And if you're in here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, their testimony is saying to you, you too need to understand that your sin has separated you from a holy God and that a loving savior has come. And if you will believe on him in faith, he will save you too. This is what their testimony cries out to you. And here at Redeemer, when people declare this before us, we celebrate. We celebrate in the fitting way that a declaration like this deserves to be celebrated. So you ready, church? Let's celebrate these things.